This is Quotations, a podcast about words, written and spoken throughout history. If you can fill the unforgiving minute with 60 seconds worth of distance run, we shall fight in the hills. We shall never surrender. No matter where you're from, your dreams are valid. The Pale Blue Dot, the only home we've ever known. Hello and welcome to Quotations. I'm Matthew Monroe. Here's today's quote. Soldiers, don't give yourselves to brutes. Men who despise you, enslave you, who regiment your lives, tell you what to do, what to think, and what to feel, who drill you, diet you, treat you like cattle, use you as cannon fodder. Don't give yourselves to these unnatural men, machine men with machine minds and machine hearts. You are not machines. You are not cattle. You are men. You have the love of humanity in your hearts. You don't hate, only the unloved hate, the unloved and the unnatural. Soldiers, don't fight for slavery, fight for liberty. In the 17th chapter of St. Luke it is written, the kingdom of God is within man, not one man, nor a group of men, but in all men, in you. You, the people, have the power. The power to create machines, the power to create happiness. You, the people, have the power to make this life free and beautiful, to make this life a wonderful adventure. Then in the name of democracy, let us use that power. Let us all unite. Let us fight for a new world, a decent world that will give men a chance to work, that will give youth a future and old age a security. By the promise of these things, brutes have risen to power, but they lie, they do not fulfill that promise, they never will. Dictators free themselves, but they enslave the people. Now let us fight to fulfill that promise. Let us fight to free the world, to do away with national barriers, to do away with greed, with hate and intolerance. Let us fight for a world of reason. A world where science and progress will lead to all men's happiness. Soldiers, in the name of democracy, let us all unite! And as you know, this is the second in a two-episode series that I'm doing on Charlie Chaplin's The Great Dictator speech. If you haven't listened to the first episode, I encourage you to go back because I'm not going to spend a lot of time on context for this particular quote as I went over most of that last week. What I really want to talk about is the second half of this fantastic quote, which you just heard. The quote total is about three and a half minutes long. And again, if you haven't watched the video in which this quote is delivered, it's absolutely fantastic. And it really takes the words themselves and amplifies them to another level, really. It's just Chaplin's character on screen. He's got his characteristic mustache. He's got his gray and black hair. And he's standing in front of a bank of microphones, the old-style 1940s, 1930s, 1940s-style microphones of various shapes and sizes. And what you don't realize necessarily until he really gets going is that there's a whole mass of troops in front of him. He's delivering this speech, if you recall, not as the actual dictator himself. Again, he's satirizing Adolf Hitler in this film. But he's delivering this as if he himself is the dictator. He's been mistaken for the dictator. Really, he's a humble barber. Both characters are played by Chaplin in the film, and he's been put into this position where now he has to deliver this speech in front of the world and in front of his troops. And as we talked about last week, he opens with an appeal to humanity. He talks about how he doesn't particularly desire to control men or to dictate their lives to them. And you probably noticed a tone shift from this week's quote compared to last week's. And that was deliberate. I intentionally broke the quote there because there's Almost two different speeches that happen here. 
The first half, which we talked about last week, is an appeal to humanity. It is kindness, gentleness. It is an appeal to the better part of mankind. It lays out the ideals. It's foundational. And on the second half, you hear a tone change. You hear Chaplin's voice start to rise. His speech starts to quicken. And if you watch in the video, you can see the anger rising in him as a character. When he's looking at the camera and he's talking to the world, you can see that he's angry and he's upset. And then he glances downward. And as I just said, down in front of him is this mass of troops. And in an instant, his tone changes. He goes from the rabble-rousing, loud dictator. Now, he is delivering kind words and words of empathy and words of sympathy for all of those around him. But then when he glances down at the troops, his tone softens. Because he sees that those troops are, they're truly the victims in all of this. Those individuals are doing terrible things in the film. They're acting, of course, and they're doing terrible things to other actors in the film. But in real life, again, what he's satirizing here is a bunch of German citizens who have willfully, sometimes ignorantly, sometimes deliberately joined this fascist regime who has taken it upon themselves to try to expunge from the German people, or in this, in, in this case, it's not German people, it's a fictional land, right? But in this case, to expunge from the country a specific group of people. And Chaplin has appealed and appeals to patriotic values of those people recognizing that inside each one of those people is, there's two halves. There's the patriotic part that wants to stand for democracy, that wants to stand for freedom and liberty and justice and all of the things that he's talking about in his speech. But at the same time, those, inside those same people, on the other side of that coin, are the people who are doing the unspeakable wrongs. And the way that he does that, the way that he connects these two is very interesting. And he does this a lot more in the second half of the speech than he does in the first half. You, note, you probably noted when you heard him talking about man and machine, right? He's creating a duality. He's creating two sides of the same coin. We talked about logical fallacies a couple of weeks ago, and Chaplin's sort of employing one here in that he's creating a false dichotomy between man and machine, as if there is no overlap, as if there is nothing in between, and as if they are both extreme ends of a spectrum. But it's effective, and in this case, I think it's an oratorical tool as opposed to a what we talked about a couple of weeks ago, which was the desire to avoid confronting things that are not true, right? Chaplin is not using this to avoid the truth that fascism is the way of life and democracy is bad. He is instead employing this duality, creating this dichotomy between man and machine to highlight the differences between feeling and logic. Right? He, he, and he does this deliberately, and he does it slowly. The speech is only three and a half minutes long, but there is, there's a meter to it. And he does it, and he pauses between the various portions of the speech deliberately so as to invoke a sense of logical thinking. Right? He delivers what he's saying with passion, with directness, but then he pauses ever so slightly. And our minds are incredible things. We will take that empty space in someone's speech, and we will fill it with thought about what was just said. And Chaplin knows this. Chaplin, remember, had been in the film industry for decades at this point, with decades more to come. So this was the culmination of decades' worth of work on his part. And the result is this magnificent speech in which he delivers these breadcrumb-like trails to patriotism 
to justice, to fairness, to equality, and then pauses at just the right moment to allow the listener to think and to continue to expand upon that idea and to grow it into something more and more powerful, which at the end of three and a half minutes, your, your soul is stirred. As the old saying goes, your spine is stiffened just from listening to this speech. And it's because of Chaplin's talents and his abilities as an actor that you really get to see this come to the forefront. And you can feel it in yourself. For as many times as I've watched this clip now, I still feel that way at the end when he says, let us fight. You feel like, show me a fascist. Show me a Nazi anywhere. I'll punch him right in the face. That's the feeling that you get just from listening to Chaplin's speech. And he creates this... One of the examples of creating this kind of logical comparison between two things is when he talks about, the quote is, without these qualities, life will be violent and all will be lost. Right? He's talking about humanity and kindness and gentleness. And he says, without these qualities, life will be violent and all will be lost. And what your mind does, whether you realize it or not, I, I just said the same quote twice to you after you'd already heard Chaplin say it, but what your mind does in that gap at the end of that, is goes, well, I don't want life to be violent, and I don't want all to be lost. So humanity, kindness, and gentleness must be the things that I want. And that's magical, right? That, that is employment of speech. In a, in a lot of ways, it's reminiscent of, or I guess vice versa, Martin Luther King's speeches that you hear evoke similar emotions. So his speeches, I guess, are reminiscent of Chaplin's because they are predated by them. But it's the same kind of stirring speech, and really good speakers can do this. They can evoke in their listeners true emotion. Not the kind of emotion that simply follows the rising and falling of the individual's voice. Certainly, we all do that. It's why if you've ever sat in a church service before, at the end of the church service, there's the compelling part of the sermon, and there is almost always, at least in modern churches, a lot of times, let somebody go up and start quietly playing the piano. Why? Because it evokes a certain emotion. It reinforces a certain feeling that that speaker at that time wants you to have. And in much the same way that Chaplin raises and lowers his voice, quickens and slows his speech to evoke certain emotions from you, he reinforces that, not with a piano, because there's nothing behind him in this. There's no musical accompaniment. But what reinforces what he's saying is the true emotion that comes from that. In the moment, you feel and you respond to the tonal changes and the diction and the speed with which Chaplin delivers his lines and the volume, of course. But what makes it stick is the emotion that it evokes. So I want to play the quote for you one more time. And as much as you pay attention to the words, pay attention to the delivery as well. If you've seen the video, you know what I'm talking about. But if you haven't, imagine Charlie Chaplin delivering these lines. And picture the types of body language and eye contact and raised eyebrows and clenched fists and, and deep stares that accompany some of these lines as they're delivered. Here's the quote one more time. Soldiers, don't give yourselves to brutes. Men who despise you, enslave you, who regiment your lives, tell you what to do, what to think and what to feel, who drill you, diet you, treat you like cattle, use you as cannon fodder. Don't give yourselves to these unnatural men, machine men with machine minds and machine hearts. You are not machines. You are not cattle. You are men. You have the love of humanity in your hearts. You don't hate. Only the unloved hate. The unloved and the unnatural. Soldiers, 
Don't fight for slavery, fight for liberty. In the 17th chapter of St. Luke it is written, the kingdom of God is within man, not one man, nor a group of men, but in all men, in you. You, the people, have the power. The power to create machines, the power to create happiness. You, the people, have the power to make this life free and beautiful, to make this life a wonderful adventure. Then in the name of democracy, let us use that power. Let us all unite. Let us fight for a new world, a decent world that will give men a chance to work, that will give youth a future and old age a security. By the promise of these things, brutes have risen to power, but they lie, they do not fulfill that promise, they never will. Dictators free themselves, but they enslave the people. Now let us fight to fulfill that promise. Let us fight to free the world, to do away with national barriers, to do away with greed, with hate and intolerance. Let us fight for a world of reason. A world where science and progress will lead to all men's happiness. Soldiers, in the name of democracy, let us all unite! Now, if you did as I asked, you heard the things that I was talking about. You heard the voice changes. You heard the rousing diction. And if you've seen the video, you know the dramatic facial expressions that go with them. And as I mentioned before, that moment where Chaplin looks down presumably to see the large massed formation of soldiers in uniform, much as you've seen in some of the historical footage from World War II, he, he softens. He softens, and, and you can almost see the, the wheels turning in his mind. And that's a pretty, I mean, that's worth pausing for a moment to consider. That is a very difficult thing to do as an actor, because there is no massed formation of troops in front of you. And to... To get those facial expressions just so, so that they look so natural, that even if you have seen this movie before, you may not have even noticed them until I just pointed them out to you. I had to watch that video probably 15 times before I caught that. That's how natural this was. That's how talented Chaplin was in the delivery of this speech. And he says to those men, in an attempt to, to rouse them out, to shake them, to almost to grab them by the shoulders. You can picture Chaplin walking to each one of them in formation, grabbing them by the shoulders and shaking them, talking to them about machine men with machine hearts and machine minds. And he talks about how they've been wronged and how they are, in their own way, victims of this fascist regime. And he says that they despise you, they enslave you, they regiment your lives, they tell you what to do, they tell you what to think and what to feel and who... And they, they drill you, and they, they diet you, and they treat you like cattle, and they use you as cannon fodder. And the delivery of those lines is such that you really feel what he is, what he's saying to them. And he's bringing up these injustices, and then twists it into sympathy. And then uses that sympathy to create anger, and from that anger, a call to action. And that's what the last part of the speech is comprised of primarily, is the call to action. I think Chaplin says, let us fight five or six times in the last 30 seconds or so of the speech. So clearly, all of this, from the humble opening to the description of kindness and gentleness and justice and freedom that he gives in the first half of the speech, to the rousing, anger-filled, passionate speech in the, the second half of the middle of the speech, to the end, it all comes down to let us fight. And it wasn't as if he was trying to compel people who might otherwise not have fought to fight. Right? These were 
um, he was speaking primarily to an American audience, a British audience as well, and arguably, uh, debatably, maybe even Hitler himself. He wasn't calling Hitler to fight, but he was he was reminding everybody that these characteristics of American society and of British society and of every democratic society around the world, that they were worth fighting for and to stiffen their spines and strengthen their hearts and really get the blood pumping to stay the course, to fight the good fight, to not give an inch. And that's why there's so many fantastic speeches during this time. Roosevelt had fantastic speeches. Churchill had amazing speeches. Chaplin, an actor, not somebody who fought, not somebody who was directing people to fight. He was directing films instead, but he did his part, and he did it through this film. And if you've seen the film as well, you see there's a part of this where the camera really zooms in on Chaplin. And it's this iconic moment where you it, it, you get break away from the microphones and the uniform and the artificial backdrop behind him and you're focused just on him. And in that moment, you can really see what Chaplin was trying to deliver with this speech. And you can see all of the hours and days and weeks and months that he spent perfecting this speech to deliver it just so in this film, knowing that it would be polarizing and knowing that it would evoke certain emotions in his listeners, but delivering it nonetheless. And as I've said countless times before, this is not a political podcast. It is intentionally meant for you to be able to come here and spend a little bit of time each week listening to the words of someone else and leave a little bit more inspired to be a little bit better yourself afterwards. I do that for myself. I hope that's what you take away from it. But we can't help, I couldn't help, and I'm sure you can't help either, noticing the relevancy of words like this today. There has been a rise in fascism around the globe. One doesn't have to look very far to see that there have been candidates that have both won and lost in various elections, both within the United States and without, with pretty strong fascist tendencies. Some places outright reject them. Others welcome them a little more readily than we may hope. And fascism appeals to strength. It appeals to this idea that the strong should lead. The strongest should lead. And one doesn't have to go very far down that rabbit hole mentally to realize how dangerous an idea that is. That he who has the strongest fists, the biggest muscles, extrapolated further, the largest army, and the greatest will, should lead. That's a very dangerous way to approach state, national, and global leadership. So as we leave today, again, staying away from politics as much as we can, let us fight, as Chaplin would say, for what he desired then and we ought to desire now, which is a decent world. Until next time, I'm Matthew Monroe. This is Quotations. If you've enjoyed this episode and would like to hear more, please subscribe in your favorite podcast app or visit me at quotationspod.com to download and listen. Please also take a moment to recommend the podcast to a friend. That's a huge help. You can tweet at me at quotationspod. Send me an email to quotationspod at gmail.com. Find me on Instagram at quotationspod or join the conversation on Facebook at quotationspod. I look forward to hearing from you. Welcome your feedback. And thanks, as always, for listening.